0: Welcome to Decisive Point, a U.S. Army War College Press production, featuring distinguished authors and contributors who get to the heart of the matter in national security affairs. Decisive Point welcomes Dr. Andrew Terrell, author of Moscow in the Middle East, featured in Parameter Spring 2021 issue. Dr. Terrell is a professor emeritus and retired research professor of the U.S. Army War College. So, first of all, just thank you so much for doing this with me today and making time for us. My pleasure. So I'll just jump right in here. For Parameter's 50th anniversary issue, you wrote a retrospective on an article published in our inaugural year, 1971. It was an article by Dr. John Thomas, and in it, he detailed the history of Soviet involvement in the Middle East from the start of the Cold War to the early 70s. Can you discuss the highlights of that involvement, starting with the 1955 arms deal between Czechoslovakia and Egypt?
1: The arms deal between Czechoslovakia and Egypt was a front for a Soviet arms deal with the Egyptians. The leadership in Moscow believed it would be less offensive to the West if they were making a deal with Czechoslovakia than with uh, the Soviet Union itself, although everybody basically saw through it. They were essentially completely retooling the Egyptian army from a Western-supplied military to a Soviet bloc-supplied military. It's an initiative to break out out of containment, it's an initiative to bring themselves into a region that has been important and dominated by the West until that time. They're also very much aware that during the Second World War, which wasn't that long ago, when you're looking at that arms deal, that the Middle Eastern Theater and the North African Theater were terribly important stepping stones and supply areas and logistical hubs for all kinds of things that were going on in Europe. So the Soviets were moving forward with that. They kind of extended themselves in ways they didn't really want to after the June 1967 war, because in that war, the Arab-Israeli War of June 1967, which the Israelis call the Six-Day War, you have a huge Egyptian defeat. The other countries involved, the Arab countries are comprehensively defeated as well, Syria and Jordan. And so the Soviets at that time had to decide whether they were going to resupply and support Egypt and Syria to the extent that it could rebuild rebuild, that both countries could rebuild, but especially Egypt. That was a major undertaking. The well-known Egyptian, former editor of Al-Aram newspaper, uh, Mohammed Haikal has said that he identified this inflection point as double your commitment or quit. The Egyptians were therefore resupplied at this fairly massive scale. There were still some Terribly difficult situations Between Egypt and Moscow And I think one of the things That I tried to highlight in the article Was that a lot of these Arab Regimes, especially Those that were state socialists You know, they were leftist regimes But they weren't communists They didn't particularly like their own Communist parties Most communist parties in most countries At that time had come to power By overthrowing the existing government And no one from, you know Anwar Sadat to the leadership of the Arif's in Iraq or or anybody else wanted to have a communist government overthrow them. This is not like supporting Ho Chi Minh, who's an avowed communist in Vietnam, and this is going on at the same time, but yet they're providing more advanced weaponry than the North Vietnamese got, as well as massive supplies that exceeded that of North Vietnam, because they felt it was so important to break out of the containment, to continue to support their allies in a way that would keep them an important actor in that region. That ended pretty much after the next war, the October 1973 war, when the Egyptians had managed to reclaim some territory. They did a lot better than in 1967. And eventually Sadat made the decision he'd rather go back to working with the West. So with all that investment, the Soviets lost anyway. It was an era in the early 1970s where you saw just an incredible Soviet involvement in in Egypt and to a lesser extent. Than in Syria, Iraq and some of the other leftist countries.
0: Since then, the global balance of power has shifted in significant ways, not the least of which was the fall of the Soviet Union in right. the late 80s and early 90s, right. and that's something neither Thomas nor most Sovietologists could foresee. So, in the absence of a focus on proliferating communist ideology and in the presence of a rising China, what do yeah. you see as the current trajectory of Russian involvement in the Middle East?
1: Okay, well, the Russians are still interested in the Middle East and they have a lot of major interests in the Middle East. It's just whether or not they have the capability to follow through on advancing those interests. Russia is now a major oil exporter. And if you're in a situation like we are now with oil, essentially, we seem to be coming out of it partly because of COVID. There has been a lot that really crippled the sales of oil for a while. Now we've got vaccinations and things like that. so. If the variants don't get out of control or something else bad happened, the global economy should be recovering. You have a situation where being an oil producer is something that needs to be coordinated with other oil producers to have an optimal strategy. And sometimes that goes well, and sometimes it doesn't go well. The Saudis and the Russians have had real differences over oil pricing, but they've managed to, to work together and work through some of them. But you can't do that unless you're in a fairly friendly, stable relationship with some of these countries. Uh, Saudi Arabia never had diplomatic relations with the Soviet Union during the Cold War. And so that was something that was uh, considered unacceptable because communism was considered unacceptable under Islam. And atheism was considered unacceptable. So they didn't want a whole lot to do with the Soviet Union. Now they're working together at least to the extent that they can coordinate. The Russians are also interested in controlling jihadist Islam. They've had some experiences that are not good with the Chechens and other groups that have struck against Russians and they are afraid of terrorism in their own country should some organization like the Islamic State be able to run wild in certain places like Iraq and like Syria. So they are opposed to those types of organizations and they're very much interested in supporting the Syrian government, which they've been allied with since Soviet days and they still have a very close relationship with. The interesting thing you see there is that the Russians can only go so far. The Russians still remain very, very, very traumatized by the intervention in Afghanistan in 1979 and onward for a number of years. And that trauma is still there. And this is a country that is not a rich country that can only devote so much resource to overseas activities. On the role of China China is a rising power Got the Mm -hmm. second largest economy in the world And it's competing to be the first It would like to overtake us If you look at GDP And GDP is always an estimate You can never be totally exact But as you look at GDP China has a GDP that's rapidly expanding And Mm -hmm. Russia is only about maybe 15% Maybe, maybe, maybe 20% on a good day Of China So you have China As Mm -hmm. an economic superpower That's very interested In the Middle East It's interested In various trade agreements It's interested In expanding Its Belt and Road Initiative It's interested In Navy visits And the Chinese Are trying to build Well they're 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 more than trying They're halfway there Towards building A large Blue Water Navy And so Mm -hmm. the Chinese Have a real interest In expanding Their level Of involvement In the Middle East and they're probably much more worth watching than the Russians are. Now that the UN conventional arms embargo on Iran has expired, the Russians I'm sure would love to sell weapons to Iran and we're, we're certainly not going to do that. Maybe China will compete with them there. So there seems to be a lot of opportunity for China and China seems to have a lot more wherewithal economic clout. and. Um, than than Russia to be able to make those kinds of expansions if they they choose to do so that's something again we're all we're at the very beginning of a lot of this with China so we'll have to see how it plays out
0: that's all I have okay thank okay. you okay, sure.